So what we look at when we watch a child coming through those development stages and the chance to learn, there's sort of this uh, open sense of, yes, that's what you're doing. You're learning these new skills. And so if you're not great at it today, that's okay. But we don't afford that same sort of learning arc for adults. I knew I was wrong, but that didn't stop me, no. And though the moment was right, I let you walk right out of my life. Now I'm praying for time just to ease you off my mind. Won't be easy, no how. I'm living in this house all alone and I can't stand the sound There's no going back for me now No, no, no going back for me now No second chances, no apologies Welcome back to another episode of Backstage Chats with Women in Music. I'm your host, Thea Wood. Our next guest is a singer-songwriter with an evolutionary heart. Her story shines light on the meandering path that many of us often travel before finally committing to pursuing our deepest passions. An accountant and social worker by training, she founded nonprofits and other businesses with her husband, Dan. And while she couldn't muster the courage to audition for a voice class in college... She had the experience and grit to take a leap of faith and commit to singing career. In a music industry that ages women out of success by their 30th birthday, she took the challenge head on. Since then, she's released the appropriately titled pop album, No Going Back, and has committed to helping other women over 40 realize their musical dreams. In March 2023, she's hosting a Sing Out Loud performance retreat in Austin, Texas, for women who are ready to take a chance and pursue a singing career. Horizon Music Foundation is a proud partner of this event. She's the activist with a big voice, a big mind, and big aspirations of wiping ageism off the face of the music industry. Welcome, Lurleen Ladd. Thanks so much, Thea. It's wonderful to be with you today. Well, I'm really excited to delve into your life, your inspirations, and how you got to where you are right now. But first, we uh, always ask all of our uh, special guests the shakedown questions. Are you ready to shake it down? Bring it on. Bring it on. I love the, uh, <laughs> the enthusiasm on that one. Well, the first question, hopefully, is an easy one. Who was your first concert? It was the Go-Go's. So, yeah. And I had to think back on it because I have a, a very visceral memory. Um, the Summit was a venue in Houston that's no longer there. But it, at the time, it was kind of the go-to for big bands when they were coming into town. And uh, yes, that was the first concert. And I, I distinctly remember the black, red, and blue mini dress I got from Judy's in the Galleria. So if you're if you're a Houstonian, you all that will ring true as to be the, you know, the coolest place to be where you shop and then and the concert. So yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I remember it well. I'm sure you do. Well, and especially as a young person, they just had so much energy. They did. They were super cool. And the uh, flock of seagulls opened. So wow. I, I ran the got, got the whole gamut there, I think. Oh, very cool. 
All right. Well, then we move on to the next question, which is what was the first album you bought with your own money? With my own money. Well, first of all, I'm the youngest in, in a big family. So there was always a lot of music in our house, but it was other people's selections, right? Because I just, I came in last. So, right. Everybody already had all their stuff, but I, th I was thinking on this and I, I, I really think it was the Beatles wide album. And, and the reason for that Somebody, one of my sister's friends was like, you don't know what that is. Oh my, you got, you got to go out there and get that, you know? And, and I was, <laughs> so I was a little chagrined and got, you know, obviously what a big deal it was, right? First of all, that there was more than one record in there and then the interior and all the stuff that was there. So that was probably my, a bit, it was probably an expensive purchase as well. And I think about that. Um, so I think that was one, it could have been a Beach Boys. I'm, I'm not sure, but definitely. Definitely. It was a big deal to me to have it. And everybody had a record player in their room. So you had your own little stash of records. So it was a good, it was a good addition either way. Well, moving up to today, who is on your rotation playlist, heavy rotation on your playlist now? <laughs> this won't, this should not sound egocentric, but it's more out of necessity. So I'm listening to myself a lot right now. I am, uh, I'm going to Nashville uh, in early March to record a song that was written some time ago, and uh, it's a new producer to me. So I want to be um, really prepared. And so I'm singing and listening back to myself to, you know, to make sure that I've, I've mastered the material. And, you know, that may sound very laudable, but that's also a little bit of um, a little bit of insecurity of wanting to make sure I'm, I'm good when I, when I get there. So I have to balance some of that. I think it's a knee jerk reaction to me to be over-prepared. Um, so I, I have to watch that, that it doesn't tip over into like, you know, I'm just anxious and that's how to deal with the anxiety. Right. It's like Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. It's like Mark Zuckerberg said, better done than perfect. Okay. Next question. That's a big one. Which woman has had the most influence on your career? Yes. So, I mean, I, I've, I've, when I've been asked a similar question, I feel like it's, it really is my grandmother. She was such a huge force in my life to, um, she made me feel incredibly special. And, um, she was a writer in her really, truly in her own right. She wrote we have all these beautiful letters that she wrote and poetry. And at the time, I didn't really understand the what and the why of all that. It was she was my grandmother. And this was just sort of things that she was also an amazing baker. And, you know, but now where I am looking back on that, I realized that when I saw her do that, she was really showing me the importance and value of that inner life, of those ideas and thoughts to give them voice, to um, to bring them out. And uh, that's as I look back now, I'm like, well, of course. I mean, look, I could tie that thread straight on through that she was so accepting of me. And then she was creative and modeled that behavior, which, you know, you just don't realize how important it is. Um, what seems innocuous makes it really can make an, an imprint on you. And I, I'm just grateful for all the time she gave to me. And so. If you could have dinner with any woman dead or alive, who would it be? Well, it would, it's sort of cheating, but I would like to sit down with my grandmother if I could do that. She's deceased. So to be able to sit down and talk with her and share all that I've done to me would be, it would, that would be so great. Although I, you know, I feel her with me all the time. I still would love to, to create sort of a beautiful table and a wonderful meal and then, you know, kind of get to bask in all that. So from that perspective, that she would be my first. But right now, a person I'd really like to sit down and have, have dinner with 
I would like to talk to Madonna. And uh, I, I, I've been a, you know, I've been a fan of hers off and on, but right now I think she's, um, she just announced her tour, of course. And I just think, uh, I think she's got some things in store for us. <laughs> and I want to talk to her about what it's been like to have been in the public eye this whole time and sort of taken, you know, she's taken some hits and, and she's pushing back. And to me, I just, I want to hear what she has to say and what's coming next. I'm, I just, she's an interesting woman, a woman on her own terms. And I, that's, I'd love to sit down and have dinner with her. So yep. <laughs> if we can arrange that, I'd like, maybe she's on tour, she'll pass through. From your lips to God's ears, man. And I will join you. <laughs> right. That would be, yeah. We just have a dinner party. We'll, we'll have a dinner party. Beer. Oh my gosh. I, I agree with you and Madonna. I got my tickets. I'm going to see you her in Detroit, oh which, you know, hometown <laughs> Michigan, you know, and so uh, I, I'm counting down the days. And of course, the biggest question is, I told my husband after he announced that he got us the tickets and I was so excited and I was going on, I said, well, you know what my first question is? And he said, what? And I said, what am I going to wear? Wear, right, exactly. I mean, you got to dress for Madonna. <laughs> right? Like take her as your fashion inspiration. You, the, the, choice, the choices are wide. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. What a great, that's going to be a great night. Oh, it's going to be crazy. You have to write something about that concert. Where I want to hear exactly what your thoughts were. I'm sure it would. Uh... Well, thank you. And actually, I probably will because I just wrote a letter, uh, an article, an op-ed, I guess you might call it, on um, all of the uh, cruel feedback that Madonna received after the Grammys. Uh, which happened last week. I know. And it's, it, it, I think people, they sort of miss the point when they sort of start going down that path of like picking it apart. It should be illicit, more of this and less of that. And it's like when I start to hear people generally, but women specifically start to sort of take her down bit by bit by bit by bit. First of all, I, I, I totally believe that whatever she's presenting to you, she's like a Rorschach kind of. Oh yeah. Everything is meticulously calculated. Right. Right. And whatever you're saying has much more to do about your, your mind than it has to do with, with her. And uh, that's the whole point. That's been the point she's been serving up from the beginning. So, uh, you know, people just want to pull her down by, the, by, by appearance. And, you know, when we start trying to say, you can, you can do some of this, you can't do too much of that. That Goldilocks stuff is just, uh, it's, uh, we're forever seeming to chase some ideal, who knows, it shifts from, you know, from moment to moment. And uh, I think she's not playing. So no. if it makes you uncomfortable, uh, alas for you. That's, <laughs> That's right. About it. Our last question, this is, this one, for some people is really hard, but uh, it is, what is one life goal you'd like to accomplish before climbing that golden stairway to heaven? Well, I, you know, it had a funny thing happen many years ago. Dan and I were in Dallas and finishing up all of his training. And we were in a place called Deep Elm. And uh, there was a street festival of some sort. And there was a, a fortune teller there, like a palm reader. And so, sure, whatever, you know, put my hand out there. And she looked down and she goes, you, uh, you're, you're going to have a second life. Uh, or like a, 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 she even sort of intimated that it was like, maybe I was going to have another baby. And we were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's all done. So we're out there. <laughs> but, you know, I just, we just kind of laughed it off. And then I, I was thinking about it later. It's like, you know, that second life that's coming here. We've been at this for so long. My husband and I side by side, getting him through medical school. We had to leave the state of Texas. We were, you know, finally getting back to Austin. And I thought, yeah, that's what she meant. You know, I think that's it. And, um, and then of course, shortly thereafter, my life completely changed and, and music showed up in a way that was 
you know, took all of my time, attention and my heart. And I woke up, literally woke up. And um, if I think about like, what are you trying to accomplish before you die? Like some people get caught thinking it's about trying to stave off regret. Like if I do everything, then I won't, I won't die with, you know, with these regrets. For me, if I'd never gotten to that next chapter, that second part of my life where music became such a focus and gave me so much happiness and I was able to pursue that, that to me would have been a far greater tragedy uh, than, than, than if I maybe missed a, a goal on this side of the line. Um, so for me, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to invite any ill will on myself, but I'm just so grateful that I, I got here I'd be pretty happy to keep doing what I'm doing. Well, what you're doing is fabulous and, um, and, and making the world a better place. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of those uh, initiatives as well as your creative initiative, which to me is always for yourself. I mean, people talk about how, oh, you know, I didn't do this for the Grammy. Well, I hope not. I hope you did it for you. Hi, I'm Oliver, the sexy AI voice that Horizon Music created to invite you to sign up for Horizon Music, the newsletter. Discover trailblazers and rising stars who work on stage, on air, and behind the scenes in music. Plus, you'll get notices on new podcast episodes, in-person and online events, and discussions about the issues that affect women in music. Click the newsletter link in the show notes or visit horizonmusic.substack.com. That's H-E-R-I-Z-O-N music.substack.com. Now, back to the show. We're here with Lurleen Land. She's from Austin, Texas, a singer and songwriter who is, I guess I would say, I won't say recovering, but I'll say reformed from a corporate career. Um, of course, involved with activism and a lot of and a lot of um, entrepreneurialism with nonprofits and and uh, small businesses with your husband Dan. Uh, but what I wanted to talk about first was kind of going back to young Lurleen. I wanted to know a little bit more about your childhood because um, it wasn't always easy and there were some painful times physically and emotionally. And I was kind of hoping that you could share with people what that was like and how that shaped you going forward. And when I talk about that time of my life, of course, it, it was very challenging to be to be so young and to be powerless in a situation where my, you know, my, my father was an abusive alcoholic, you know, had very explosive temper. I was the youngest of six children and these were my, my step siblings. So I was just very, very small and, and, and not knowing at that time that that was not sort of normal. I mean, I, that was my existence every day was to sort of deal with things would sort of erupt. Like there was really no way to predict when he was going to be flying off the handle. And that, you know, as I, certainly learned in, later in my career as a social worker, what that meant was that my body was getting a lot of trauma. And not only that, but just the, sort of that level of, of anxiety and hypervigilance, that's, just, that's kind of a normal response to that. As I kind of came up through, you know, grade school and high school and all that, you know, there really wasn't a chance to recover from any of it. And I just sort of drug it all forward. And I just thought I was the only one that was sitting around worried all the time, anxious all the time. And the beginnings of that now are quite obvious. But at the time, I, I made me kind of feel like a different kind of person, a different kind of kid. As anxious as I was, it would have been great if I just could have sort of sat in the back of the room and just didn't make any, no waves. I was just kind of, could have been, could have been a quiet kid. 
But um, interestingly enough, that just wasn't the way it was. I, I kept somehow wanting to be out in front, which is crazy. Um, I, I, I was sort of, you know, I wanted, I was played sports. I was, you know, as the pitcher on a softball team, I was my, that was my thing the whole time. So I was in a position where all the pressure was on me all the time. Uh, Do you I think that it made you kind of like hyper self-aware? Maybe. I mean, there was just a drive. I felt like, it's funny. I, I did sort of feel like I had something to say. It would have been infinitely easier if I had been quiet. Uh, because I think that tension of like, I think I need, I think I want to be out here. And at the same time being like, but Hey, if I could just sort of hide in the back, maybe nobody will see me. There was a paradox. It was a push pull. And then I had friends, you know, I had friends who were, um, especially in high school who were, who were like in theater productions and, and, um, or, or like in choir or things like that. And the funniest thing that I thought when I saw that was like, well, that spot is taken. And so even if I wanted to do that, it's as if it was closed to me because somebody already occupied that space. Looking back now, I just see that there was a fallacy in thinking because I, I could have tried, I could have pushed, but that reticence, that hold back, you know, I, I know that that was part of me that was trying to keep myself safe. Um, that it, a muscle that had gotten overworked all my young life was, was trying to keep me out of danger. And that meant, you know, don't go out there too far. Don't put yourself that far out there. And so kind of accept those things in retrospect and understand that it was there for a reason. But it definitely kept me out of some experiences that I think might have moved me along. You know, I, I said that the worst thing would have been to have missed the opportunity to get to this place with my with music. It was so funny. It was like just out of reach, just one more step and I would have seen it. But at the time I couldn't. Right. Well, and it, it did affect you in a tangible way in that you basically said, I, I don't have the courage to do an audition for a college voice. <laughs> which I mean, which is so silly. I mean, the, you know, I went to a small school, so it wasn't like, you know, it was going to be some ordeal. And, and uh, interestingly enough, that my two friends that you know, that were actually in the theater department at Southwestern, both of them were great singers. I mean, like, these are people like we'd have a, have a, have a cocktail party and like they jump up and start singing songs. We're like that, you know, so fearless in that regard. And, and he was like, just sing, like he made me sing happy birthday, just, you know, and he was like, you got it. You know, that's all you need to do. Just go to the professor and you'll be fine. And, um, and I completely bailed before I could even do that. And so I was really thinking about, I needed to be really good at it or perfect at it even to even try when that kind of thinking's in place it's really hard to get off square one yeah it's paralyzing what did you end up majoring in uh, I, I majored in sociology and um and then um came out of uh undergraduate and worked at the uh in the public health department at Williamson County, which is just north of, of Travis in Austin, uh, and and had a a great career as a social worker. I, I worked in the jail. I, I worked everywhere. I got to really work with all different age ranges, maternal child health, uh, which was which was great. And then ended up in home care and working in acute care and in hospitals, and then shifted over into healthcare operations. And uh, I, I mean, I, and, and business. I just really was excited about business. I I mean, I'm a entrepreneur by nature, I will say that that should line up with just about every musician you've ever spoken with because every musician is a, isn't a business of themselves. It is a small business. So some of that is analogous, but um, I, I, I enjoy the challenge of business and uh, working with people and solving problems. And I always say this, hey, listen, once a social worker, always a social worker. Uh, that's just because solving problems is the name of, the, of that particular game of that job. And so it applies 
it makes a nice transition to different industries for sure. Tell us about your hell no spreadsheet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, there was a, so as I started, you know, uh, performing more, once I began writing music and performing, I I really had um, made some inroads, was getting a little more comfortable on stage, but it got to be so stressful. It was really the the stage fright that that got me. And it was interesting because once I was on stage, I was fine. It was strange in that the anxiety was in the run up to that. And after a particularly bad experience where I, I, I just was struggling and coping with a performance that was coming up and I did what some people do, which is like, you know, I'll just have a couple of drinks and just try to calm myself down. And and I really took a took a terrible risk and 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 drove my son in a car that I didn't even remember driving. That's how much I'd had to drink the night before. And that was a, a frightening moment where I had to really take stock of. I know I love to, to sing and, and to be out there and to and to be performing, but clearly my body and mind couldn't handle the pressure of that. And so I sat down and I was like, okay, you know, you've your pros and your cons, you've got your, you know, is it worth it or is it not worth it? And I had to kind of create this spreadsheet, which, you know, I love a good Excel spreadsheet, you know, all life can fit in there. But um, it was a matter of uh, really looking at that and saying, what can I, what can I do here? And so I took a giant step back and said, I'm going to take a break because I'm, I'm not able to handle this to the way that I want to. And so that was sort of the the hell no spreadsheet was like, I had a column for yes, column for hell no. Uh, but what it, what it really taught me at that time was I had, I had to reevaluate how I was going to come back at this again. Um, and when I did that second time, when I came back, I was like, I'm all right. I had, I had work to do. I had work to do. And some of that, you know, you do some of that work with a therapist, you do some of that work in the vocal booth, but the work must be done. And, um, and when I came back the second time, I was, I was ready. And I, I didn't have the anxiety and the stage fright had sort of been wrestled down. And how old were you when you made that change, that leap? That second leap, I mean, I came to music in my late 30s, probably in the, in the last six years. My husband and I had a radio show, uh, a medical call-in show on KLBJ. And um, I credit that experience along with others for what helped me get past some of the stage fright. So on live radio, there there's no stopping. And and if you make a mistake, you just keep going. So the very first show we did, they had a, a gentleman who had a, his own radio show on with Dan and I, and he started talking and he, he just stumbled on his words. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that man just made a mistake and everybody heard it happen. And you know what? He just kept on going. I could feel like a light bulb go over, go off over my head, which was like, you just keep going. So when you go back and think about how I was hung up on trying to be perfect first, that's like, that's job one. And then everything else will take care of itself. No, 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 no. Being on the radio like that for eight years and just on the fly, some of that perfectionism just started to wash away because I had so many experiences of like, you know what? We just keep going. Just keep going. And it's kind of like baptism by hellfire, you know? I mean, you just got to jump in and do it and keep going until, you know, the station break. I heard some really wonderful words of advice when I interviewed Susan Rogers, who is a Berkeley College of Music professor for audio engineering. And Mm. uh, she was also Prince's staff audio engineer for five years. Wow. And I was, this was the very beginning of when I started interviewing people. And I, 
I interview everybody on my little laptop with my earbuds and, you know, and, and garage band or stream yard or whatever it may be. And, uh, I, I told her, I said, I'm almost embarrassed because you probably have the state of the art studio that I could interview you in. And it's, you know, we're sitting here in the beginning of a pandemic and, and I'm interviewing you over zoom. I think it was at that point. And she said the nicest thing. She said, Thea, you know, content quality before anything else. If you have great, if you have a great message, if you have great content, the rest of it will all just fall in line. Don't worry about it. And this is coming from a woman who, you know, her whole career is on the, the quality of the audio sound. So she made me feel so much better. But I think that's important for all of us to remember is that it's really about the message and the heart and the right. intent. And that's what people really connect with. I agree. Yeah, you know, a smart person once said to me, you know, you're don't major on the minors, major on the important stuff. And it's sometimes it's easy to get lost in all of these small things that can kind of jump up and seem to be the most important. You know, it's like, do I look okay? You know, we always sort of can get hung up on that. You know, if I have I figured out exactly the right thing to wear, is it flattering? You know, sometimes you know, and I talk about this a lot. I say, listen, that voice that's sort of especially for women, that's always sort of measuring, have we, have we got it quite right, is that it's impossible to make it go away. So I don't tell women that they're going to be able to achieve that. I mean, maybe they can, they can go sit on a, you know, on a mountain and, you know, contemplate and meditate it away. But I think for most of us, the best thing we can do is to, it's like a volume knob, is to, we just need to be able to turn it down. Well, and I think there's a perfect time to bring up your song, uh, Walls v. Doors. Can we talk a little bit about that? Of course. Well, so my, um, my dad was an attorney and I, I worked in that office. And so I, um, part of the reason why you're, why that title is wall v. doors is it's really walls versus doors, but in, you know, in legal speak, they drop the S, you know, so you're in, in the legal mind, I guess a little bit. Um, but for me, yes, it, uh, I, when I wrote that song, that really was about uh, making a choice. Um, when you see that obstacle, I mean, it's, it could be a wall or it could be a door and that choice is really, really up to us how that's perceived. And, um, uh, the willingness to, to be optimistic and hopeful. Uh, there's parts of that song that talk about the, you know, the weight can be lighter, things can be, can be manageable. It's sort of that perception of, uh, of the world is a good place, but it, it, it is about making the choice of how, how it's received. It's that saying like, right, like you, uh, like when you have a dream, everybody in the dream, you're that, you're that character. You're the, the tiger that's chasing you through, you know, your middle school and you're naked. You're all of those things. You're the tiger. You're the, you're running for your life. You're every friend you see because you're writing the script. For those songs, many times I'm writing to remind myself that, um, I think there's a line in there that says you're, you're more than your past. And, um, and, uh, I think because I'm on the spot now, I'm struggling with my lyrics, but, um, I, you know, there, there's a part in that song where I sing every time that you're not alone and I'm going to make sure of that. And every time I sing it, I, I bring my hand to my chest because I remember I wrote that for myself. I'm not going to leave that tender part of me to be on her own and un, unprotected people love that song. They tell me it's meaningful to them. And I, I love that. But for me, it, I got to remind myself every time I'm not going to abandon you. I've got your back. And then of course, as we age, the systemic obstacles, societal obstacles start to feel magnified, especially in the music industry where I wasn't kidding when I said they typically tell you you're kind of aging out of success by 30, which to me is 
horrifying because I was 30 years old when I was finally just starting to get my stride in my career and living and growing in a way that I felt like I was really contributing. With you, what has your experience been joining into the music industry officially later in life? Well, I mean, I, I certainly, I felt it sitting there. I mean, right when I was beginning to write music and it, it was, of course it was hilarious. I, I wrote three songs and ran to Nashville. That's what you do, write three songs and, and go and go there and, you know, sort of stand up and wave, wave that CD in the air. But I, I mean, I definitely felt it when I, when I was contemplating this because I thought people are going to think I'm out of my mind. You know, I'm 37 and, and, uh, and, and, you know, uh, Everybody, you see these stars that are coming up, they're like 16. I, I joke about America's Got Talent. You know, their, their latest winner at one point was third, was 12 or, you know, whatever, eight years old, whatever. It's it, that precocious talent really can get into the into your mind and make you think, well, oh, my God, you know, I there's no time for me to develop because I'm so late. And that's not 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 fair at, at all that I didn't even think I had any what could I possibly say? I had to get out there and do what I could do. But it felt like I was a. Uh, this thing was going to hold me back. However old I was, I was, I was, it was too late. Uh, and that just was that voice to constantly that sort of undermining voice of like, see, you should do something else. Why are you, this is way too hard. Figure something else out. You don't have to do this. This is so dangerous. You're out there in front of all these people. And, um, and back to the idea of like, there's no time to develop and talent it takes time to develop. Um, I often quote, I have to get it right. Cause it's, Bill Withers, he was an incredible musician who said, nobody gets to wonderful without passing through all right. And that is true for everybody. And if you find that you're discovering this passion that you have at whatever point in time it is, you know, you're 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or beyond, you still have to develop. You found the passion, but you need a chance to improve your skills, to learn. It's all the things that we afford to children um, when we're getting them all these enrichment activities, right? They're going to learn the violin and they're going to play select soccer and, you know, and they sort of we run them all over the place. So what we look at when we watch a child coming through those development stages and the chance to learn, there's sort of this uh, open sense of, yes, that's what you're doing. You're learning these new skills. And so if you're not great at it today, that's okay. But we don't afford that same sort of learning arc for adults. And I think it's particularly tragic because you don't get to have every experience by the time you're 15. You're going to discover things about the world and yourself every decade you're alive. And they're going to trigger things in you. And you may suddenly decide that, you know, it could be anything. Maybe you, you want to be a potter or, you know, you want to, you want to be a writer. You want to do any of these things. And the idea that it's simply foreclosed to you because of the, some crazy date of expiration, you know, it makes me mad. I don't like that. Well, <laughs> and you're, and you're, and you're doing something about it. Right. So I wanted to put something together for women that were, were kind of like me, that maybe they have been at a different career path and they, but they have discovered or have wondered about, you know, I'm a person, maybe they're a person that really loves to sing. Maybe they go to karaoke all the time, or they've always had this dream that this is something that they wanted to pursue. Um, I had found over the last few years and working particularly with Marilee Garrett, that something was so helpful to me was something called sing club. And it, what it was, was an opportunity to have a performance class. That's what it is. It's a performance class where feedback is given in a very, um, secure and supportive environment. And what it did for me going through that 
experience month after month was my nervous system kind of settled down and I was able to focus on what it was like to just stand up there and sing, be in performance mode, but with the stakes being lower. Uh, I think there's lots of opportunities and organizations out there that are that can help women in music, but I really feel like the women that are 40 plus, they, they need, um, I think, some specific coaching. I think... Yep. Uh, helping to set their expectations and to counter, honestly, to counteract some of the BS that they're going to hear about you're too old. You should try to try to look as young as humanly possible. And that might lead them to do all kinds of crazy things that don't really even represent themselves the best that they can. So I work with them and the other folks there, as we say sometimes, like I said, to turn down the volume on the negative self-talk, you know, so that we can get them moving forward. Um, we did uh, in in December, we I launched my that second CD, and we did a nationwide search for uh, women to open for my for my release event. And I had a chance to talk to many women and hear their stories. And um, one of them in particular, she said to me, "When I'm singing, I'm just so happy. When I'm doing any part of my music, I'm just so happy." And I said, "Then you're not. It's not. That's not something that's lying to you. When you get that sense of alignment and you in that flow." That's as true as you're ever going to be is those feelings. And so I said, you can trust that. You don't have to talk yourself out of it. Um, I said, you can listen to that, 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 that certainty that you're feeling. When, you know, I've worked with different folks at different stages of their own professional development. And I say, do you have a chart for a song? And they hand me something that indeed is a chart. But will any musician be able to pick that up and play that? Maybe not. And so I want to help with something as simple as that. When you say you've got a chart and you're going to hand it to a bass player that you've never met, I'm going to promise you the chart that you're going to leave with is going to be understandable anywhere. Not everybody has access to that kind of information, that kind of training, you know, somebody who will tell them the truth and again, tools that they can take and, and feel confident on the music side and to be an absolute beginner, to not even know the questions to ask. I mean, talk about feeling like a fish out of water. It was often the way I felt. So again, as I'm trying to put those pieces together for them so that they can be as confident as they can as they as they make those moves into their career. What would you say to a woman who's starting, you know, at the at 40? Oh, heaven forfend. She's 42 and she's ready to start in the music business. What kind of advice should she should she be told? And that's that to me is about beginning a conversation from people inside the industry and and that conversation hopefully will lead to some changes because I think there's a greater sense um, now than there's ever been in, you know, you sort of attribute it all to the pandemic. But I, I just think that women are taking stock in their lives and um, deferring happiness is never a great, it's never a great plan. You, you don't get a rebate at the end. Uh, so I think they're willing to embrace that and they're willing to take some risks. And to those women who are willing to do that around music, I, I want to support them. I want to, I want to provide them a path. I want to give them some insight. And um, that, I mean, that's a big push for me uh, to help other women who are just like me. I think that the hardest thing is, is that we're feeling, there's so much insecurity. I've never done this before, like you said, but also not having the tools and an opportunity like this brings in the tools and the advice and you can ask questions and have those questions addressed immediately uh, versus maybe posting it on some board out there and who knows who's going to answer if anybody answers at all. Um, my thing that I like 
like to tell my image consulting clients is that once you have your visual message down and how you want to present yourself visually, because when we're intentional about that, we do send a very specific message to people, then you can relax. So when you have all these tools, the thinking about the visual, having um, the technical tools, having the experience in the studio, having the mentorship and the, and the take-homes, um, then you have less to worry about. So you can really focus on your performance. Exactly. You sort of, you do sort of relax a little bit when you know you have the tools at hand. And that's the same thing that you, that you described. Horizon provides such a huge amount of support. I, I, I think you're moving in that direction of coming up underneath women to provide them with those opportunities. Cause there's so many facets to the business, uh, business world, the business side of the music industry. So I I'm, I'm all for helping them get, get started, but there's amazing organizations that kind of continue and, and lift them up from, from there. So it, it, it's, there's a lot to be done. One of our core values is that collaboration beats competition. And that is how we see lasting change. That is how we start seeing the rising stars moving up and doing their thing and support those who maybe it does remain a hobby. Maybe it is something that's not their full-time career, but it makes them happy. And, um, and we're up for that too. Uh, can you do me a favor and please, I mean, we've got, we've got a ticker here on our video portion because Hey, podcast land, we're also recording this in video on Streamyard, Woohoo! So you can check it out on our YouTube channel, the horizon music YouTube channel, but can you please let people know where they can get more information? So you can go to my website, which is lurleanlad.com. Um, and there is a, a button right there. So you can find out all that information. If you're a woman that you know music matters to you and you want to perform sort of area here beyond 40 is a is your willingness to be seen, a willingness to to show that strength because it's hey it is easier. It is easier to leave this to um to the 16 and 17 year olds if you're talking about what's easy. But if it's what makes you happy, then you're going to be willing to put up with the hard part, to go the uphill part. And to me, it's much more fun to do it with other people. I mean, that it shows that you're not alone because we're, especially in the music industry, as musicians, you kind of feel like you're a solopreneur and you're having to take on so much by yourself. So meeting other women who are in a similar situation to you and have the same interests and, um, and, and aspirations. Yeah, aspirations and the same interests and the same fears. That's what, that's, so when I, when I read all those stories from the women that submitted in the nationwide search, their stories were certainly unique to them. But the, the running themes were, were all the same. They just did not have a sense that they were entitled to pursue something that made them that happy, that they weren't good enough. Um, that sense of, of self-worth ran all the way through it. And different, they all, everybody had different experiences that, that affirmed to them that they, maybe they weren't good enough to do this. But it had, sometimes had nothing to do with music. Um, it just undermined their sense of strength and sense of self. And that's really the core. Once, once you can turn that, and you're on stage, then it's just about the song. Then it's just about giving to other people. When your self-esteem is sort of in, in, the, in the wrong order there and undermines you from even trying. And so that's the part that I wanna help them to grow because that resilience, that certainty, then they're out there on stage there, they're, it's just about sharing their gift. It's about sharing the song, follow the song. We continue to uh, keep these online for people to listen to and watch for as long as possible. Will there be future uh, retreats or programs? 
We certainly think that the uh, the women's panel and music for women 40 plus will be something that comes around again and again and again. Uh, we're just excited to get started and start that dialogue. So much more to come on that. Contact Lurleen, Lurleen Ladd, L-A-D-D dot com. I really appreciate that you came on the show today. Thanks so much, Thea. It's been wonderful talking to you and I have lots of ideas. I'm, I'm, I'm fired up even more. Oh, I am too. Yay. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say uh, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for supporting uh, Women in Music. We share stories like Lurleen's because they inspire us to be dreamers, rule breakers, and rock stars. Until next time, it's a wrap. Backstage Chats with Women in Music is a production of Horizon Music Foundation, a nonprofit based in Austin, Texas. Giving credit where credit is due, we'd like to thank folks for their contributions to this episode, including Zhejiang Tong for the audio production and editing, Bianca Garcia and her social media team, including Kira Vasquez, Pamela Sierra, Victoria Artel, Sofia Valverde, and Christy Loach. And last but not least, Pond5 for our theme music. Your donations help make this podcast possible. Please visit horizonmusic.org to donate today. This podcast is the property of Horizon Music Foundation and is protected by copyright law. Use of this podcast is for personal and non-commercial purposes only. No other use of this production, including and without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing may be made without prior consent from the Horizon Music Foundation. Submit all requests to info at horizonmusic.org.